Hello, everybody. Welcome to Take the Black Live. I am your host, Dan Selke, editor of WinnersPoint.net. I am here with Cheryl Wassenaar of Culturist.com. Hi, Dan. Hi, everyone. Hey. We're here to talk about all things Game of Thrones, Song of Ice and Fire, and genre fiction. Cheryl, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Dan. How are you doing? I'm also doing well. I like the good grammar. It's always important. I mean, technically that. speaking, good is also acceptable in, you know, not formal situations. But grammar aside, what are we talking about today, Dan? All right. Today, Cheryl, I thought we'd play a little bit of a game. Okay. So, we know Game of Thrones. And by the way, hello everybody who's joining us. Hey, Sabrina, Daniel, Julie, who compliments. Oh, your start. Yes. Oh, that was our intro sequence. Hope you enjoy it. Very, very nice. Hey, Kenny, George, Marie, Bobby, Annette, Kim, thanks all for coming. And today we're going to play a bit of a game. You guys can do it too, of course. Get into this fun. All right, so Game of Thrones. It's a television show. It's been on HBO for a while. It's very successful. We like it a lot. It's ending. It's coming to an end. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more that we... I mean, it, it's always getting closer, this, this ending to the show. And I'm starting to think, like, what does the show need to do to satisfy me and, like, give me an ending that I will be actually happy with? Okay. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen, or do we? For more on that, you can join the Wick Club to get all the skinny on the spoiler stuff. But we don't know what's going to happen exactly. But there are some things, I think, that I would... I'm really holding out hope to see and that I almost need to see in order to get, like... To, to, for me to be able to say that was nine years well spent in front of the television. <laughs> so, okay. Here's the way the game's going to work. And everybody out there, you can play too. You and I are going to name our three... We'll only choose three... Three things we need Game of Thrones to do in its final season, or just in its ending, okay. to make us able to say that ending was satisfying. Okay. Collect all the threads. I want everybody out there to do it too. I figure we can go like one, 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 one. Okay. And do it. I'll okay. do it. I'm down. Let's let's do for this. Do you do you want to start? I would love to start. Okay. There's no rules. Whatever you need to be satisfied, just name it. Okay. Okay. My first thing is. And this is a bit more of a, uh, just a, a kind of a fan's first moment, but I want it really badly. Um, I want explosive justice for Cersei Lannister. I want her to die, and I want it to be spectacular. <laughs> I want it to be operatic. I want, like, the roof of the Red Keep to collapse in around her as it's in flames, and her, like, shaking her fist to the heavens. I want her to <laughs> fling herself at a really tall window. I want her to be eaten by a dragon in the middle of that. I feel something... I want her to have a spectacular end going down like the badass villain she is. I, I think, I, 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 I just need it. it. It's something I want. Get Lena Heater her Emmy 2019, Yeah, basically. something like that. And I realize that's a bit indulgent of me. Like, you know, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's not that important dramatically, but I feel like it's something that, uh, it's just too perfect. It's calling out, and I think it needs to happen. Yeah, I mean, that's... After, <laughs> after, you know, the Sept of Baelor, there, there is only one way that Cersei Lannister can go out, and it is in a large way. Yes. I want him to be large, like yes. her. Yes. It's got to be, it's got to be big. Here's, here's my thing one. Okay. My thing one is I want a concrete ending. I Ooh, don't, I don't want any of this, ooh, but the Night King could come back, you know, those looming threats or like the possibility, you know, Things aren't settled by the time the series ends. Like, I don't want, like, John and Danny to turn to each other and be like, okay, now the real war begins and, like, draw their swords okay. as the credits roll. Like, I don't want a Sopranos ending here. 
I want a firm ending. I want maybe that long epilogue that you keep talking about that you really want. That might be my list. I knew we were going to get to it. Um, but I want there to be something that firmly puts an end on this part of the story of Westeros and Essos, you know, considering that the prequel series is coming in like a year after that. Yeah, not so long after. I want something that says this mm-hmm. story is done. Okay. Just put 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 the ending on it, put a little bow on it if you want. But I want it to be done concretely. I so I mean like the Sopranos ending is infamous for yes. just ending it's like an opposite of in media rest, like ending in the middle of things. Yes. Like, uh, what, what, well, whatever the Latin term is. Uh, yeah, I know what you're. I know what you're going for. I don't think there's a specific term for it. Maybe but there should be. Uh, there probably should be. Sopranosine. Um, that's what it's called. There we go. Um, We've done it. Yeah, I can't see it ending like that, but right. I, I take your meaning. Something more solid. Right. And I, I can't imagine that they would end with like, I don't know, the Night King's hand coming up out of the snow and saying he's still alive or something. <laughs> I, I, I really doubt they would go this far and do something like that. But you never know. So okay, I hear you. Yes. By the way, some suggestions here. Um, blah, blah, blah. Claudia wants Bran to tell John the truth about his parentage in front of everyone, so they all find out at once. Tyrion, Varys, Northern Lords, Arya, Sansa. He wants that, or uh, Claudia wants that scene. That'd be good. I could see that. I could see that, but maybe not for the ending. Maybe a little earlier in the season. Julie wants Tyrion to be true to Danny, not not betray her. We all want that, of course. All Me right. Too. My second thing. Yes, Dan. Okay. Um, I want. Three to five-ish major characters to die. Like Which some, ones? Okay, so when I say major characters, I'm talking like, like kind of the headliners now. So like, John, Danny, Sansa, Arya, Cersei, Jaime, Tyrion, and throw on Theon and Bran in there too. Okay. Like, people we've been with for the whole shebang. I want three to five minimum. <laughs> Need to go. For me to feel like I, for me, to me to feel like it's earned an ending. Okay. On a show where you kill off Ned Stark, your lead character, kill off Rob Stark, Catelyn Stark, your lead characters, or even kill off John at one point, but then kind of backpedal. <laughs> like I need, I need some major, some something that really brings home that oh, this is really the show where anybody can go. I think the show has set itself up for that. I think it owes us that. And even though I'll be sad to see it, I'll be more satisfied than sad. Knowing that my uh, that my bitter tears are are justly earned, I don't know who. I mean, Cersei's gonna be one of them, obviously. Yeah. But I, I need at least two others to join her, and one of them's got at least one of them's got to hurt. Okay. Is my opinion. What do you think of that? I'm not opposed to it, honestly. You know, I think that you're right in that the show kind of has earned its reputation for bloodshed. Um, now I just have in mind Thanos snapping his fingers. I mean, that, that, that worked. You know, cosmically balancing Westeros to leave it and get my concrete ending. You know, if all the, all the major threats are kind of taken care of. So I could see that. I'm not opposed to that, honestly. I, I, I mean, do th- have in th- mind. Go on. <laughs> I do have in mind my top three characters that I would like to see die. Why don't you name them? All right. Cersei? Clearly. I mean, yeah. I want to see her die, too. I, want, I love her, but I want her to die. Exactly. No, I'm the same way. I love her, but, like, I'm ready. I'm ready. Mm-hmm. I'm ready for the pain. Right. I would like Theon to die. Okay. And He's I would... through a lot. Yeah, death is too good for him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and 
I'm going to go for it. I'm going to say that I actually want Tyrion to die. Really? That's an, that's an unusual one. Yep. But I think that if you want a death to hurt, Tyrion's going to be the one that's going to hurt the most. Probably right. That's going to be pain. I'd be broken up about Arya or Sansa, too. Yeah, but I like Arya and Sansa, and I want them to live. So, <laughs> Tyrion it is. Fair enough. Some <laughs> bold statements. Yeah. Okay. Here's my next bold okay, yeah. statement. What is here's your, here's my thing, thing, too. What's the second thing you need? I do not need <laughs> the... Uh, I'm going to... I had this piece of fan art in mind here. Uh, you know the piece of fan art that has Jon Snow and Daenerys, and they have naked, like the naked babies on their and like Tyrion's off to the yeah, side yeah, is their yeah. hand it looks like a, like a Russian like, yes like a, like icon painting or something yes I need not that <laughs> okay you don't need the happy ending I do not need babies ever after I would like I would like there to be only one baby maximum per settled couple but you're open to the idea of a baby I'm open to the idea of a baby but I do not need like a quadrillion babies in my concrete ending I need maybe one baby, maybe okay. even the hint of a baby, but like not a ton of babies everywhere. And not in the least because those poor babies would get cold even if it is really warm in King's Landing, okay? Babies have sensitive skin, they're delicate creatures. Why are John and Daenerys such terrible parents in that piece of art? I will never know. But that's what I need. I need not a ton of babies. I, I think that would swing it too much into the kind of happy ending. And I okay. don't want a happy ending so much as I just want a solid ending. That grounded ending? Right. Concrete is the word I keep coming back to with that. Grounded without an excess of babies. Yes. I could take it. Okay, yes. I, I can take that. Um, okay, also some suggestions here. Oh, okay. Let's do them. We got uh, Lisa wants Bron to get his castle. Sure. I support it. Dan wants Game Bowl. Brian, Starks will rule. And Claudia, ooh, another one, good one from Claudia. I would like to, uh, there not be an Iron Throne, or there is one that is chosen by the people to sit in. So she wants democracy. Ooh. What an interesting idea. And if you, <laughs> by chance, want to join the uh, Winter is Coming Wick Club on Patreon, we have extra episodes to take the black, and we give away some juicy prizes like a Game of Thrones Seasons 1-7 to Blu-ray box set. We might talk about that kind of thing. So... Look at that. That's a good suggestion, Claudia. I like that, too. And uh, Nina wants Tyrion and Arya to make it. Oh, th I think th this long thing about George R. R. Martin's wife told him that Arya had to make it. I actually think that's apocryphal, but it has gotten around. Yeah. So, who do we say? So, I I'm not sure if I'm, I say any. Who am I to say it's not true, if the internet accepts it as true? Truth is relative. Okay, so we got, we got four to six. Yes. My final one yes. is we already kind of previewed it is um, I want a long epilogue. I want, after this very long show that's lasted, gonna last nine years, I mean, long episodes, hours long, dozens of characters, maybe even hundreds, I want, I, I know I'm not gonna get a full episode epilogue, I kind of wish I would, but I at least want like a half hour, 25 minutes maybe, just exploring the main players, what happens after, and who settles where. Okay. I don't want it to all be like, you know, they all, they all happily ever after. I want it to go back to like realistic. Like after they settle back into their kingdoms, is there still tension? Who's got, who rose up? Who ended up falling down? It's not going to get up. It's not going to get up again. You know, who's mourning? Who's healing? Who's not? Who's having a hard time with it? I want, because this world is very persistent and very detailed, I want a sense that it, 
is going to keep going, not in a way that's going to be like a Sopranos cut to black, we don't see the end. We'll see the ending. Mm-hmm. But I want a, uh, a Return of the Kings-like endless epilogue that really gives me a good sense of what the, what the series meant to them. Not just what happened, but what it meant okay. to the characters in it. Okay. I will say if I get a My Friends You Bow to No One moment or like Aragorn singing moment. the books. I know, but I'm referring to the movies. Sure. Because the movies had a more formative experience on me than the books did. Uh, if I get a My Friends You Bow to No One type, like feel good, mm. fuzzy moment, I will throw my hands up and walk out of the room even though I know it's the last <laughs> episode of Game of Thrones and my quitting does not matter. True. I will just be it. done. They have your money. They have your attention. Already. They've they've done. They've won already. It is purely symbolic. I would be out. I wouldn't like that either. So I'm seeing a, I'm seeing a lot of a uh, a lot of years involve revolve around uh, just not schmaltzing up the ending. Pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much. I'm. All right. What's your third one? Um, I don't watch the show to feel good, Dan. I watch the show to satisfy my need for intrigue. Um, my last thing is kind of the most ephemeral, I guess. Ooh, I love that word. In the sense that it's basically just, I want something unexpected. I have soaked myself in Game of Thrones spoilers for the past several years, and I will continue soaking myself in Game of Thrones spoilers right up and until the very final episode, probably. It's the curse of the, uh, blogger. Pretty much. And I want there to be something that even I do not see coming. And it can others, happen. And others of my ilk, I should say. I'm not the only one who sure. soaks themselves in spoilers. Because I'm sitting right across from someone else who does. It is possible, you know. It I is. Mean, we covered it pretty extensively. Mm-hmm. I didn't see the Hodor thing coming. Yeah. The whole time travel thing. I didn't see Cersei Blown of the Sep coming, although I should have. Exactly. Like, I want something that when I sit, when I watch it, you know, on my couch, you know, probably petting a cat or something. Sure, or a fish. Um, no, we have cats, not fish. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, probably, you know, petting the cat, whatever. And I just go like, what the heck just happened? But way more explicit and, you know, make mm-hmm. the cat like look at me and be like, why are you doing this? I was napping. Might even jump off. You yeah, know, yeah. Fun. You know, something like something that scares the cat because it makes me react <laughs> in such a way. Um, that's kind of what I want. I want something that makes me go... Wow, I didn't didn't see that coming, or just you know, long long strings of words that I can't say on this show, something like that. But we can say on the Wit Club uh, extra episodes because anything goes there. That was not planned. I just want y'all to know that was not planned. I think it's possible. I think they can do it. They've done it before, even with the intense scrutiny on it when during Jon Snow's resurrection and stuff. They managed stuff like Hodor's death. Was that a, was that a left field? Mm-hmm. I, I I think I might be the only one. But I thought Cersei Blanc of the Sep was at a left field. Not at a left field, but I, I didn't I didn't think they would go that far. Center left field. Sure, center left. <laughs> I mean, I, I was surprised that, that they actually went there and killed all those people, and it was a wonderful sequence. So I think you might get your wish. I hope you do. Please, Game of Thrones gods. All right, let's do something good. Let's do one more time. A little. Uh, yeah. What, what do the people? What are, what what what, what do the other people need? to right. get out of this. Chris just wants Danny and Arya to, to survive and meet. Kenny's with you, something I never would have expected. <laughs> Let's see, a little bit. I'm sure there are others. Um, blah, 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 blah. 
There we go. Okay. Jamie dying in Brienne's arms. Cool. Sammy. Bronn needs his castle. Arya finishes her list. Dread and Danny both survive. Cersei gone. Okay. Some specific things. I could support most of those things. I don't know if I want Brienne dying in Jamie's arms. Oh. I think it was Brienne dying in Jamie's arms. That's what I said. Brienne dying in Jamie's arms. I thought I said Bran. No, Brienne. Which could also happen. We don't yeah, know. but that wouldn't mean as much. So our list, though. So we got... Um, Justice for Cersei, spectacular justice for Cersei. We have um, a concrete ending that does not cut off in the middle or leave things dangling or leave up to big unanswered questions. We have uh, at least three to five major players dead. Just, I don't know how, just do it well, make us cry, just kill them. Uh, we have a non schmaltzy ending with only a reasonable number of babies involved, <laughs> not too many babies. Um, we got a long epilogue that shows us what happens to everybody, or everyone who lives. And finally, something surprising. I think it's a pretty good list. I'm pretty fond of that list. I would watch, would watch this episode. Yeah. And I mean, we can't cover everything, but I would watch these and have that stuff. I hope they take it to heart. All right. Before we, uh, let's move on to the show. Before we move on mm -hmm. to A Song of Dan and Josh, our weekly walkthrough of A Song of Ice and Fire... Let's go beyond the wall for a second. Talk about something that's not related to Game of Thrones, but it's related to True. other things happening in the fantasy space. Because you know, Game of Thrones is ending, mm -hmm. and like every other network and service is, is getting ready with their their own new new high quality fantasy show. Right. Including Netflix, which is readying a series based on the extremely popular. Witcher series of video games. Have you ever played those, by the way? I have not, but I have Neither seen have lots of videos. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and I know people who have played them. Apparently they're very uh, popular. Yes. But the news is this week, so that's going forward. Right. A Netflix series based on The Witcher. I think eight episodes. They're going to spend some money on it. It's going to... One of many shows is going to try to fill the post-Game of Thrones void. And the news this week was that Henry Cavill, a.k.a. Superman in the... DC Universe movies is going to play the main character, the titular Witcher, Geralt of Rivia. Cher Wassonar. Dan is, is this a good hire? Is this good decision? Good casting? Or are they trying too hard? Uh, um, I feel like they're trying a little hard here. Um, because, I mean, look, Henry Cavill is nice to look at. He is. He's he's very nice to look at, but I don't know if he's shown that he can necessarily act in the way that a character like Geralt of Rivia might require. One of our writers on Cultures did a really great piece kind of explaining her reasons why she didn't like Henry Cavill cast in this role. Okay. It's really great. Um, Y'all should look it up on Culturist. Um, and I read it and I was, I just kind of found myself kind of nodding like, yep, yep. This is, this is where I'm at with it. You know, she mentioned, you know, his acting roles haven't always gotten the most praise. He's, you know, he's kind of, he just doesn't seem suited necessarily for this role. It kind of feels like hiring Sean Bean for the first season of Game of Thrones, except mm -hmm. Sean Bean can actually act. And I'm not sure Henry Cavill can to the same level. Okay, so you mean like hiring a name for right. the first season of Game of Thrones. Right. But in this case, the point of hiring Sean Bean was to lure you into he's the main character, but oh wait, no, he's not. We fooled you. Yeah. Whereas hiring Henry Cavill is you're just actually trying to get a big name in there. Exactly. 
it, it's it's kind of like playing what Game of Thrones did straight. If yeah, you will. yeah, I, yeah. I, I can see that. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's interesting as we as we approach this new crop of post Game of Thrones shows. Mm-hmm. But um, I feel like we're going to see a lot of names in there. And I think it, 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 it ignores one of the lessons that Game of Thrones, like, made stars out of these unknown people. Except for Sean Bean. Like, you know, Kit Harrington, Amelia Clark, Mizzy Williams, Sophie Turner. They all rose to prominence because of the show. And um, I'm not sure if getting a big-name superhero actor is the right course. But maybe he'll be... I mean, apparently he does... He's a big fan of the show, of the series, of the games. I don't know if that helps necessarily. Yeah, I don't know if it helps either. Yeah. But it's good to be passionate about the thing you're hey, into. Yeah. You know, that's why we have jobs, right, Dan? Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I'm I'm not. And yes, as Kenny says, yeah. he was good in the Tudors. It's not like he can't act. Uh, you didn't tutors. like the Tudors? I never watched the Tudors, full disclosure. I've watched the Tudors. You don't watch that show for the acting. <laughs> You don't, except for Natalie Dormer. Everyone else, <laughs> bit terrible. Well, Jonathan Reese Myers did okay too, but like pretty much, you didn't watch that show for the acting. So I don't know if that's a great defense there, Kenny. Fair enough. Well, I'm sure he's done something. Yeah, he's he, probably competent. He can't have gotten all of his jobs because of that jawline, could he? I guess it's possible. It's a really nice jawline. All right. Well, any other comments about uh, any of this show? No, I think I am set. Dan, thank you very much. What about you? Any other things you need to get off your chest before we head into A Song of Dan and Josh? I would like to say that um, we have a thing called Wick Club going on <laughs> right now, where Winners Coming is offering extra episodes of Take the Black, extra articles, monthly giveaways. We're giving away a complete series Game of Thrones Blu-ray set right now. And you can find out more information about it on the Winners Coming website. It's a Patreon-funded thing. And uh, if you're interested, swing by. We'll have a good time. Great, Dan. And uh, okay, Cheryl, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much, everyone. And as Josh comes on, we're going to play a little video for you. When I was at uh, Con of Thrones back in May, I got a mini exclusive uh, speaking with a beautifully cosplayed um, fan who told us about how the show incorporated something special into Viserion, the White Dragon's Roar. Let's see what she has to say. Is it working? I don't know if you heard, but 150th of the Ice Dragon Screams is me. (laughs) Ask Paula Fairfield, the sound designer. That was me, 150th. Can you tell that story more? I have have not heard this. There's a really good Vanity Fair article if you want to research it. But, so we actually, at Con of Thrones, we befriended Paula Fairfield. She's pretty terrific. And we just kept in touch. And she, um, one of our friends, Sam, like they were always talking. And one day she was like, could you guys record some screams for me? And she does a lot of other jobs. And we're like, right. oh, this could be Game of Thrones, but maybe something else she does a lot of horror movies we didn't want to like get our hopes up but we're like yeah give us five minutes and uh my basement my husband has a recording studio because uh he's a musician i'm a musician and uh so we she was like she's like get drunk and weird with it and we're like done and done so (laughs) so uh we just like took an evening drank a ton of chin and screamed our hearts out and uh, sent him off. 
And then she came and watched the finale with us. She never told us what it was for. And then when it was all over, she leaned over and was like, you guys are the ice dragon. And I just did this. <laughs> I walked around like the bar. We do a watch party at the bar at the House Burlington. I've seen uh, the videos. Oh, yeah. That one of the Winds of Winter, I've like watched it more than once. It's so fun. Oh, so you've seen me be upset on the internet. Welcome, everybody. Um, that's fun, right? So it ends up yeah. that uh, I met this fan, and they told me that the sound designer recorded the fan screaming and then baked that into the sound of the white dragon's roar. It's pretty that's cool. That's so cool. That's pretty cool. That's really cool. She's great. The sound designer is an amazing lady. Yeah. Paula Fairfield. Anyway, we're here with uh, Josh Hill of Fansided.com. Hello, everybody. Here to continue our journey through A Game of Thrones, every chapter of A Song of Ice and Fire. Mm -hmm. And today we read a pretty intense one, Daenerys 8. So, yeah. th this, this is a very intense chapter. It is. This is Daenerys Targaryen, um, Khal Drogo, the top of it, just falls off his horse. Yep. And just, I guess the word I would use for this one is grim all the way through. Yeah, it's, first of all, hi everybody, hello, and uh, Julie, who else is here with us? Oh, we got Julie, we got Lisa, we Julie, got Kenny, Lisa, Kenny, we got Seagrange, we got Dan Turton, Seagrange is Mark Fun, we got plenty of folk. Plenty of folk, and to all of those people, first of all, hello, and second of all, I would say, I would agree with you, it was very grim, it was very dire, <laughs> it seemed just kind of a downer. Uh, just kind of like the beginning, you, yeah. Yeah, it was kind of an Eeyore cloud of an uh, an episode of a chapter, <laughs> just kind of hanging over everything. And I do remember this one too from the show, with, yeah, because it's very yeah, visceral this thing pretty quick. with, with Drogo falling off the horse and all that kind of stuff. And it, when I was reading it, I was on one hand seeing the rise of Daenerys, like seeing the dominoes be set up for you know her rise to power you know she is she gonna run away like jorah wants her to do like you have to mm -hmm. get away from this they're gonna kill your baby and probably you after they rape you and probably do all of this horrible stuff and on the other hand i'm seeing parallels of and also how she comes out of that not like it there was positive things from that it wasn't all the right. negative stuff but on the other hand too i was seeing parallels between the quote-unquote savages out in across the sea Ooh. and King's Landing where you have similar power structures. So the King, yeah, everybody in King's really Landing on the Iron Throne, it's all hoity-toity and, you know, we're holier than thou. We're, we are civilized. We have societies. But they have the same power vacuum that is going to exist when Drogo dies where you have all of these people competing and vying for leadership and to be the one, to be the king or to sit on the Iron Throne or to lead the Dothraki. And no matter how high society the Lannisters and everybody in King's Landing and to a certain extent the Starks and everybody in the Seven Kingdoms or over in King's Landing and all that think they are, they're not that different from the Dothraki when you boil it down to the brass tacks. It's the power vacuum and everybody is hungry for power and whether you're sitting in a castle or you're riding a horse with, you know, uh, robes on or whatever they, they have <laughs> surcoat surcoat that they've constructed for themselves 
ultimately is the same situation. And I just found that as a fascinating like parallel between the two. I don't know if that was intended by chainmail, lobster gauntlets, whatever they keep saying. <laughs> yeah. No, I love that. And actually, I hadn't thought of that, even though it seems really obvious and one of those things that really should have occurred to me. Yeah, so th- th- these are kind of parallel stories. Robert mm-hmm. Baratheon dies over in King's Landing. Yep. There's a mad scramble to see who can fill his place. It will be Ned, Stannis, Renly. It ends mm-hmm. up being Joffrey with Cersei's help. And here, Khal Drogo dies. He's just the King Robert of the Dothraki. Yeah. So who is going to fill his position? He's not dead yet. He's no. still alive, which is very key. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he's, he's dying, mm-hmm. clearly. He has flies buzzing around him that he can't swat. He has this like horrible wound on his chest. And yeah, the whole issue is Daenerys thinks, well, I mean, if he dies, I'll just rule, right? And Jorah's like, no. No. <laughs> um, they followed him because he was strong. You're just the weird Western wife lady, and they will kill the baby because he's mm-hmm. a rival, and they will fight for each and they will fight amongst each other to see who gets to rule. So, mm-hmm. uh, again, it's, it's not... I, in a perfect world, Robert Baratheon dies, it goes to Stannis because it's the brother. In a perfect world, Khal Drogo dies, it goes to Khal Drogo's unborn baby because that's the way primogeniture works and mm-hmm. the firstborn stuff. But this isn't a perfect world. No. When they actually die, there's a mad scramble for power, which is completely reflected. So I think it's a really good point. Yeah, and it also reminded me, too, historically, not to the same degree, mm-hmm. but the JFK assassination and the kind of power struggle, the vacuum that was created. Obviously, there's structure there because mm-hmm. Lyndon Johnson was sworn in as yeah. vice president. That, but Jackie O is kind of like the, the Daenerys of this. And it's she just, yeah, she has to be with him. And where Daenerys eventually leads and, and does all of that, to a certain degree, Jackie Onassis kind of did the same thing too, except she wasn't able to succeed or secede right. uh, JFK in the presidency. But it kind of reminded me of that same thing where she's there, she's present, and there is that uncertainty where it's like, what happens to this figure who kind of is the same thing where she's the outsider who comes into the Kennedy family and she's not one of them. She is an outsider. And once there's no longer a connection there, what happens with her? And to a lesser degree, I think that's what's going on here with Daenerys too. I kind of saw those two things lining up a little bit. What happens to her after Drogo dies? Yeah, she doesn't really have a place. Yeah. Although she kind of does because the Dothraki take their widows back to... Vice Dothrak, where they become mm-hmm. the Doshkalin, the crones, and just yeah. talk about it. She doesn't want to do that, though. But I know, I, I love these points. I mean, in a way, if I can go kind of way to left field for a second, <laughs> I mean, one of the great um, stabilizers that, like, makes modern society possible is that we've, we've set up, like, democracies and systems that have a way to avoid a secession crisis. Yeah. Like, that's why we have a president dies, vice president, speaker, mm-hmm. so on and so on. Because we have hundreds of years of history where this crap happens, <laughs> yeah. where a king or a queen dies, and it's chaos. Yeah. Because, because there's no one rigid way to do it. And, you know, maybe you give it to the next oldest son, but he's like an, an infant or mm-hmm. an idiot. Like, you can't plan these things exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really important to, like, function in a society, to have a plan. And the fact that there isn't a plan really is what the whole damn story is about <laughs> and what a lot of history was about until we finally, inch by inch, got to a place where we could actually have a plan in place. Yeah. But yeah, those are great points. Let's talk about Daenerys' decisions here really quick. Yep. So she doesn't want to lose Drogo, both because he's, you know, she, I think she honestly loves him. Yeah. He's her husband, and she knows this stuff. She knows that if he dies, I am out of luck. That's bad. 
So she turns to Mary Mazdor, the witch woman. Priestess. The dark priestess, <laughs> the, the crazy magic witch lady, to uh, basically ask her, do some of your wacky voodoo stuff to save my husband. Um, can you sympathize with her train of thought? Do you think she made the right call, given what she knows? Yes, because, well, I can sympathize with it in that I do agree with you that I think it's coming from a deeper place than save my husband. It's save this person that I've fallen in love with. It saved me, too. Yeah, and if well, he dies, then I'm out of luck. There's that, too, but I do think that 90% of where she's coming from yeah. is save this person that I love. I think you're right, because Jora says to her, like, we can go, we probably should go right yeah. now, and she refuses, she yeah. stays. And we've seen this in stories and movies and history mm-hmm. many, many times where the person in the position to make this decision mm-hmm. does it based off of a personal feeling. It's right. not the most logical move, it's not maybe even the right move. Like, running away and saving yourself and saving your baby mm-hmm. seems to be the right choice here. Like, if you were to statistically lay it out, I think that would be the one you get the most. Whereas this is the option she has. Yeah, it's the best that. option. But this is more of a coming-from-the-heart type of thing. And I can really relate to that, and I can really kind of respect that because that's just Daenerys stripping away all of everything that she is and saying, just please save this mm-hmm. person that is with me on this journey, both literally and figuratively. And that, that, that's something that I can't really knock her for. I don't think it was a bad decision. I think if anything, that anything other than that would have been the wrong decision because it would go against her character. I think. Right. I mean, I think you're right at this point anyway. Mm-hmm. She's still young. She's, there's still some naivete about her. Mm-hmm. Like she seems to the impression at one point of the chapter that she honestly thinks that, well, if he dies, like they'll still follow my baby, right? And Jorah has to tell her, yeah. nah. Like she's not, <laughs> she's not at a at the level she will get to eventually. Yeah. So I think maybe it's just sort of like a Daenerys of a few years later, she might opt to just get out of there. Walking through the fire, Daenerys. <laughs> yeah, yes, that's after the she kind Daenerys. of hardens up a bit. Yeah. But at this point, she she knows she's happy with this life. She finally she, there's a passage in there. Like she finally found mm-hmm. somewhere that she fits. And she wants to hold on to that. Alternately, if this doesn't happen, mm-hmm. do we ever get that hardened version of Daenerys? And I don't think we do. Right. Because I think this is a this is a crucial point in the development of her character, where this is kind of like the last time. I mean, I will read the future chapters, so I, maybe this transition happens. But I feel like this is the last time we're going to truly see this kind of naive naivety from from Daenerys mm-hmm. and this is an evolution her maturation as a character begins with this very important thing that's happening and whereas the story is completely different if Drogo lives and oh yeah and she never has to step into like the leadership vacuum yeah not to say she wouldn't have gone on to become a great character and a powerful character but it would have been a very different route and I right. don't I can't see her in any other way by the way, Lisa says, uh, I'm taking this as a compliment only on here. Could we compare Drogo to JFK? It's true. I'm taking that as a compliment, Lisa. <laughs> You're welcome for that. Um, okay, so the actual decision she makes is to have Mary Mazdor help her. Yep. And there are these, like, these really bad kind of horror movie warning signs along the way. <laughs> like, Mary like, cuts a horse's throat and mm-hmm. it bleeds all over Drogo in a bath of blood. Um, all the Dothraki hate her. And uh, then she summons kind of dancing, ethereal, horrifying demons to dance mm-hmm. around the tent. Uh, like, and, and then the Dothraki starts to stone Daenerys for associating with her. To me, Miramistur is a very interesting character. 
who, who's culpable in the situation? Let's yeah. ask that question. So Mary Mazdor made this kind of poultice for Drogo, yeah. which is a thing you put in your wound that heals you. Mm-hmm. He tears it off because it itches too much, <laughs> just like it's healing Drogo. Yeah. That's what it's supposed to do. Replace it with something that's crap. The wound gets infected. He falls off his horse because he gets all infected and he's going to die. And then when Daenerys tries to call Mary for help, they like kick her and call her a witch. But she is a witch who can summon demons and stuff. So is, is, is she a good character, a bad character in between? Can we untangle Miriam Asdor's motivations and kind of try to get to the heart of who she is and what she's doing here and why? It, it reminded me, and they're going to love this comparison too. Not exactly, but I had a little glimpse is of this when I was Palpatine? reading this. No, it was the seeing Monty Python's Holy Grail where they're trying to decide whether or not they burn the witch. And mm-hmm. she's saying, I'm not a witch. And one of the guys like, she made me a moot. And he's <laughs> like, Ugh. but it turns out she is a witch. It kind of reminded me of that where you've got all of these kind of buffoons around being like, oh, she's a witch. Right. We need to kill her and all this. She is a witch. And she's like, I'm not a witch, but she is a witch. And she's actually trying to help. And it maybe mm-hmm. would have worked if Drogo wouldn't have gotten weird about and yeah, the itching, like healing itching and power. burning. So on the one hand, it's not really her fault because she did try to help and she tried to make good. But on the other hand, she is a witch. And I think kind of this is a messy situation. It's very messy. Like, I think I, Drogo takes a lot of blame for this, though, because he screwed it all up. Honestly, yeah. If he would have just left it on. We wouldn't have had any kind of a problem. Although we wouldn't have had the evolution of Daenerys. So. We assume. I mean, it's, it's possible that the thing she had was... Because we know that in the end, the other twist of this is... She does want to hurt Drogo. Drogo mm-hmm. raided her village and killed everyone she knew. And then her, fi- her kind of final speech in the next chapter is she, she saves Drogo's life, but he's in a coma. Mm-hmm. Daenerys is like, how could you do this? And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. He raped and killed all my friends and raped me a bunch. Like, I'm sorry I didn't treat him better. And it's like, I guess I can't be too mad at you for that. Um, but I, I, it, I find it hard to untangle her motivations because I'm not sure... If she really was helping with that, it seemed like she was. Mm-hmm. When I go through the list, it's like I can't really find a thing that she does wrong up to this point, mm-hmm. except maybe tell Daenerys that the spell won't cost your life. There's a bit where she's, she's, yeah. she's up front, she says, Daenerys, the spell's bad, it's going to cost a life, Nurse like my life. She's like, no, you'll be fine. But she doesn't tell the catch, which mm-hmm. is your baby's probably going to die, and Drogo's going to be a vegetable. Mm-hmm. So I'll be happy with that. But at the, at the same time, Daenerys, she does tell Daenerys there will be consequences, bad ones, going to cost a life, and Daenerys is like, do it anyway. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think she's that culpable, or at least it's hard to separate her culpability from Drogo's culpability, and even Daenerys' culpability for engaging her services. Yeah. I don't think anyone is 100% at fault entirely. No. Or maybe... If the Dothraki wouldn't have stoned Daenerys and they could have had, like, the birther women weren't too terrified to talk to her and help her, she wouldn't have had to be carried into the creepy, uh, spooky ghost tent. That's true. Where other bad things will happen to her in there. Although, if you didn't have any of the raping and pillaging, we wouldn't have had any problems to begin with. Exactly. If we're going to retroactively go back and change Dothraki culture culture and rituals i think that's where i would start but again i think that that's one of the great things about the books right is that it's 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 usually this hard to kind of pull apart the motivations and assign blame Mm -hmm. because the reality is i think in in life and in these fantasy books um blame is more complicated than that and it's Mm -hmm. spread among many people yeah i agree you guys say something no i agree cool (laughs) great great points uh the final thing i want to bring up about this chapter is the magic bits. Hmm. Like, again, Game of Thrones, especially the first book, is light on the magic, 
I think this is like as this is as explicit as we get. Mary Mazdor literally summons creepy shadow puppet demons. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought it was pretty effective, just kind of the, the mood of it, because we don't see it a whole lot. Inside the tent, the shapes were dancing, circling the brazier and the bloody bath, dark against the sand silk, and some did not look human. Ooh, spooky. And there's weird songs, and there's a weird kind of shadow play. Um, what did you think of this? Did it come off as cheesy to you, or did it work? Uh, well, the, the fact that there hadn't been a whole lot of magic <laughs> up to this point kind right, of it made does it help. feel a little weird. In a good way. It felt weird that it didn't gel with everything mm-hmm. that had been happening. So we get these kind of mystical things. I liked it. I didn't think it really took away. I don't think it was cheesy. If it was cheesy or came across that way, I thought to myself, it's because it's unnatural, which is the point of being supernatural, <laughs> is it's yeah. an unnatural thing. So I didn't really find it was a weird cheesy thing in a bad way i think it worked and there was really kind of a hard hard to find a way that it was like oh this kind of sticks out yeah i thought it worked too also because i mean even though it's it's the most magical fan like mm-hmm. literal fantasy that we've gotten it's not like you're shooting lightning out of your fingers or something right it's like we see it from a distance it's mm-hmm. weird stuff happening inside a tent maybe she was making things with her fingers and it just kind of looked that way we don't know and it, it, i like that it exists in this world and we've talked about this before our george r, r. martin drops mm-hmm. in these things where this is just part of the world and right. it doesn't have to be look at this this is magic this is mystical this is a fantasy book it's like mm-hmm. oh yes this is happening whatever fine and it's like wait hold on what do you mean this is just happening this is weird mystical magic stuff like you're just glossing over that but he's got confidence in the story to be like that's just part of the world don't worry about that we'll keep moving along which i really like because it helps build that world on an even more solid foundation because I'm like, oh, okay, I guess it is just part of this world. So then when I assume when it comes back in, in books and more mm. force, it's like, ah, okay. It's, it doesn't feel like it comes out of nowhere. Yeah, it's I'm been okay. in the background and it's like, okay, now this is an established part of this world. I'm ready to explore whatever the heck it is. No, I hear you. Yeah. And, and, and they've talked about Meiji. They've talked about, mm-hmm. I mean, they all hate her. There's a reason yeah. they all hate her mm-hmm. because she can do this kind of crap, which is really creepy. Yeah. And it, it, it becomes part of that final couple of pages where like in quick succession, <laughs> Drogo fights a guy and like, only wins because the dude's aring catches on his bone, yeah. which is disgusting. <laughs> yeah. And in that same little passage, we also got the creepy dancing uh, demons or whatever they are on that page, in, the, in that tent. Um, we got the Dothraki stoning there for being a witch, and she's giving birth with the line, it felt as if her son had a knife in each hand as if he were hacking at her to cut his way out, which is pretty vivid. Very vivid. Um, like that, 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 that final page and a half is just one intense, very sensory, mm-hmm. grim image after another, and really kind of makes a great uh, train to the end of the chapter. And it, it, it ends on just a bleak, dark note. Yeah. I think it's a pretty good way to end. Yeah, and it's like a, all of the things happening at once and all of these bizarre things happening at once makes, it kind of caps off the chapters in a weird fever dream type yeah. of way. Which, Again, dream-like. But, yeah. But, but the, that, like, nightmare-like. Yeah, very weird. And also, I don't, know if George R. R. Martin did research on childbirth or anything like that, but that maybe would have been a good place to start if he's going to be very visceral about making it sound even more terrible than it already sounds like it is to experience. But I mean, I don't know what it feels like. I don't either, and I hope he did some research. I, I, I hope that's he a very visceral a thing that is stuck in my brain now. Right. So, yeah. There was a bunch of that. The, 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 
knife getting caught on the bone stuff for me. That was, yeah, that was, it was very... In the show, it just gets caught on his armor. Yeah, it was a very gory kind of end. Not even gory, but, like, the implication of gory, just kind of mm-hmm. uncomfortable vocabulary used. And again, that's a testament to George R. R. Martin because he's using these words, and I found myself kind of, like, cringing and writhing a little bit, like, ugh, just, like... Yeah, it happens occasionally. So... Yeah, if it anything, was, it was, it was like a horror flick at the yeah. end of it there. We talked about Ooh, how the show yeah. kind of borrows different genres. Mm-hmm. I thought this was as close as come to gothic horror. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it was a good chapter. Yeah. And um, next we're going to do the next Arya chapter, which is... I'll just spoil it. I mean, you can tell it's, it's Ned Stark's death. It's going to be a big <laughs> one. And that'll be next week. Anything you want to say about this chapter, Josh? No, it was set eight. the bar high for the Ned chapter. Yeah, so. good stuff. Good lead-in. Well, thanks for joining us, everybody. Uh, we're going to be back next week at Wednesday at 4 o'clock for more Songbirds and Fire news, more Game of Thrones discussion, more Song of Dan and Josh. And in between now and then, if you're interested, again, I'm going to plug it again, we are running the, the Wick Club, a new place to get Winter is Coming content, extra episodes of this show, oh, yeah. uh, a giveaway every single week. We're giving away a complete Game of Thrones series Blu-ray set this month. Pretty cool. Uh, stickers, extra columns, t-shirts, and uh, at the highest level, a drunken discussion with me, um, a live stream, uh, where we talk about whatever. Who knows what that's going to be like. That's so, top dollar. It is top, top dollar. top dollar entertainment. I don't do that for anything. <laughs> so head to winnerscoming.net, uh, Wick Club, to see what that's about. Hope to see you there. And thanks a lot, and we'll see you again next week.